Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 4th. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 18, the second paragraph. Uh, Our readers are Edith on the 12 Streps, Rachel on the Twelve Traditions, and reading the text are Janice M., Larry, and Du. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, February 3rd, is 5861. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition state, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Edith to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Edith, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Alabama. The 12 steps, one we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. 
Thank you, Edith. Um, I will now ask Rachel to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Rachel, compulsive overeater and anorexic. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rachel. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we are... Um, we resume our study on page 18 of the big book, Par- the second paragraph, beginning, we hope, this volume. And I will ask Janice M. to get us started. Well, thank you, Kathy, and good morning to all visionaries. Uh, my name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are, 
or who may be affected. There are many. Highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. Strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. Yes, we hope. Who are we? We are the ones that are recovered, that found a solution in this book. And what is the hope? We, well, we hope in, that you'll trust this process enough so that you won't, so that I wouldn't forget about past failures or future trials. That's the hope that the recovered people um, that wrote this book are trying to share with those who may have or is, are in despair that have this disease. So, and then, of course, it goes on to, to tell us how so many of us have, have tried to find a solution out there with doctors who are wonderful, with psychiatrists, with uh, different other programs, with professionals. Now, we need professionals. They're good. They're highly skilled in their craft. However, when it comes to my disease, they are... Uh, highly skilled, they're intellectual, but they don't have the experience that to, to help me, that I can, like, confide in them, because they don't understand. And, you know, you can't make anybody understand, and they don't understand us, and we don't understand them, because they don't have that experience. Um, so that's what I see in these two paragraphs, and therefore, we can't really get the help that we really need from them when it comes to our disease. You know, if I have a toothache, I go to a dentist. If I have a, you know, a knee problem, I go to an orthopedic surgeon. But in my case, with my disease, they didn't help too much. Uh, unless they were one themselves, then, of course, they would really understand me. And, of course, we can't even look to our husbands or, you know, friends because they really don't understand us. I mean, I live with a, a professional doctor. He doesn't understand me because he's not a compulsive overeater. So um, with that, um, we can't have them sponsor us because they just don't understand. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Lauren S. from Pittsburgh. This is Bella. Can I share? Okay, we'll have Lauren and then Bella. <clears throat> Thank you, Lauren. Go ahead. Great. <clears throat> Great. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, before this paragraph, uh, the first, the one where they're, they're saying... Um, we hope this volume, and, and we does mean recovered, recovered to gain back our health of our mind and our body. But before we do that, we're still in untreated addiction. We're in our untreated alcoholism. And a good description to look at, if you are in untreated alcoholism, whether you're ingesting the food or not, whether you're... 10 years abstinent or not, 
a good description is is uh do you have misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, bad terms with family or disgusted friends, employers, you know, sad wives, parents, husbands. That's a that's a great kind of checklist. Do I am I living in that reality? And what we just read also has a, a, a lot of good questions I ask myself. Like when I was on this page for the first time, I'd say, well, was I unable to discuss my situation without reserve to my, I'm not married, so at the time I just said to my boyfriend, who, whoever that was at the time, my parents or my intimate friends. And I absolutely was. I was. My parents would be, my mom would be crying her eyes out, you know, Lauren, you're failing class, just call me if you ever want to want to pick up the food, just call me. And I uh, I couldn't imagine a more scary reality to do. And, oh, man, when I was just listening to this the other day, I was I thought back to page um, X, XVIII. When Dr. Silkworth, who worked with just thousands and thousands, I heard... 40 to 50,000 alcoholics. He said, he said, if, if, if we feel as psychiatrists, we're being, we're, we're, we're just being emotional. Let us, let those people stand with us on the firing line, see the tragedy, the little children, the despairing lives. However, nothing has contribute, contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men and the altruistic movement now growing up among them. And there's another quote. I don't quite remember where it is, but it says, no alcoholic can talk. Well, well, there's nothing like a compulsive overeater talking to another compulsive overeater. There's nothing like that. Um, And thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Bella, would you like to go? Yes, thank you, Katie. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph. It's a hope, and it starts with we. It's a wonderful, empowering word. No more the isolating, no more the, the willpower to be alone and to live in a mode of blaming and self-pity. Now it's a we. We are a group. And a few paragraphs that we discussed already last week, it was the word cement. Now what is the we? What, what makes us the, the strong cement between us, among us? It's the... We are sharing the same disease. There is, it's not a program of a teacher-student relationship. It's not a program of doctors, therapists, and patients. It's a we. We are here together that we have the same disease. And we are sharing here our experience, strength, and hope. There is no right or wrong. I cannot say, oh, you don't feel right. Please feel the way I feel. 
או I cannot say, oh, something is wrong with me, I don't feel the same way as you. No, there is no right or wrong. There is feelings. And this is our experience, and we are here together to share it, not to judge, not to be judgmental, and not to blame nobody. We are here together to share our experience, strength, and hope. And what is our solution? To be connected to, our, to, to the higher power, to accept that we are powerless, that we are human, that we are not perfect, and we have the higher power. This is the hope. We are here to, to share what we feel without feel guilty and blame. And this is the solution, that we can say what we feel without running to the food because we feel guilty. And this is the we. We are here together. It doesn't matter our age, our, uh, where we live, what is our financial situation. We are he, here together to share our experience, strength, and hope, and to be connected to the higher power. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Joe. Like oh, hello, this is Rachel from okay. Israel. Okay. Rachel, one minute. We'll have Do and then Raquel. Go ahead, Do. Do. Good morning. This is Stu, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, I really appreciate this. It says, we hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are and who may be affected. And, um, you know, I, I, I really appreciate that because even from the beginning of this book, it says that, you know, the we is the one more than 100 men and women who had recovered from what a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It seemed hopeless, um, but they're they're bringing out that no, you don't have to. You don't have to be a person that is hopeless. You can have hope because we're going to show these people precisely how we have recovered. Is the main purpose of this book, and that gives me hope because when I went to the doctors, when I was surrounded around my family when I was surrounded around these people, they did not understand what what it was for me to be a compulsive overeater. Um, my family would tell me, well, you, all you have to do is moderate. All you have to do is go to the gym. All you have to do is, you know, put down the fork. And I knew I couldn't pull that off. <laughs> Even when I went to my, my doctor, who is a highly skilled doctor. I mean, she's awesome, awesome doctor. But when I went to her, she couldn't even understand about my compulsive overeating. She couldn't understand that I couldn't have certain medications that had sugar in them. She couldn't understand that I couldn't just um, moderate, you know, on, on sweeteners um, because some, some of these medications had the sweeteners in it. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pull that off, you know. I couldn't pull that off. And, and so when I learned from this book, from this book, it's been a life-saving for me, exactly what was my problem and exactly what was the course of action that I had to take in order to recover from my illness, Um, I was able to pass that on. You know, I was able to inform my doctor, who is a highly competent doctor, 
you know, when I was truly honest with her and told her, hey, you know, this is this is what my problem is. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I can't have these substances in any form at all. And once she understood that, she was able to help me better. You know, she was able to, to assist me. Could she help me with my compulsive overeating problem? No. You know, because she doesn't, she doesn't, she will never understand what a compulsive overeater is unless she is that herself. Same thing with my family. They will never understand how I eat or, or what I process because they themselves are not compulsive overeaters, you know. But I can help them to understand at least the, the fact that I am a compulsive overeater and that, you know, through my, my actions and through my uh, behaviors, um, I can demonstrate that I am different, you know, that, that I have to have a different course of action. Um, and, and what really helps me is this book, this volume, you know, to, to be able to have that, that, that way of life. And in that sense, you know, I, I'm just um, very grateful for this book. I'm very grateful because when others couldn't help me, when Frothy Emotional Appeal failed, this book helped me tremendously. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Drew. Raquel, would you like to share? Press star one, Raquel. Okay, would anyone else like to share? We'll wait for Raquel to come back. Would anyone like to share? Hello, this is Raquel. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Raquel. Hi, hi, my sweet friends, and Kathy, thank you for for moderating and for your service. What I think about when I see this paragraph and the one that comes after it is about Dr. Bob and Bill approaching him. Uh, This business of um, the we on top, first of all, is the we of the 100 people. They're not talking about we who are now on the line now. We have to differentiate, I believe. This is the we hope that this volume will inform and comfort those who are there speaking. The voice belongs to the hundred, first hundred recovered people. So even though it is mentioned in many places in the big book about how highly competent doctors and psychiatrists are important to us and what great support they gave us, Actually, Dr. Bob, all these people with with the Oxford group and with the, with the priests who spoke to him and with the doctors who spoke to him, nobody was able to touch his heart. No one. He said, when he finally agreed to meet uh, Bill, he said, I have 15 minutes for you. And they, if, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, they stayed together for the next five hours. And it's only because Bill said to him, I'm not here for you, I'm here for myself. If, I, if you don't agree to speak with me, I'm going to drink. And later on in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, it describes how he says, he says, what affected me about Bill talking to me, which did not, this, this effect was not accomplished by anybody else, who spoke to me is because he spoke to me from his experience, 
he was telling about himself and I could identify with him. Whereas the other people were talking books to me and theories. And this is why it connects us right to the next uh, paragraph, but the ex-problem drinker. So in my personal experience, and I will finish with this, I had a very well-meaning dietitian who helped me put back on some of, the, of, some of the weight because she could not understand that I cannot eat in moderation anything that chews in my mouth mealy, like flour, like, like bread that is close to bread, not even, even um, lentils. She wanted me to go to a restaurant and once a week and have lentil soup because I already lost all my weight. God helped me what I managed to do with that restaurant and with that lentil later. So uh, here, little or nothing can be accomplished until such an understanding is reached. Little or nothing can be accomplished. And all of you understand me and I understand you, but it, it's, it's futile to try and explain it to a spouse who is not it, you know, because it's like explaining, God forbid, to a blind person what different use of blue exists. So I love you all for being there for me, and I love this meeting, and thank you so much. And with that, I thank you. Thank you, Raquel. Um, let's move on to the next paragraph. Larry, would you read it for us? Sure. Happy to. Uh, Larry, recovered, compulsive reader from Chicago. Thank you for your service, Kathy. Um, but the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Well, boy, I'm going to quote my good friend, Bella. Wow, do I love this paragraph. <laughs> and I don't say that too many times, but um, but she's right. I do love this paragraph. Yep, I, I am an ex-problem eater who has found the solution. And you can bet I'm I'm armed with some facts about myself. You know, can can I win your confidence? It's not my goal, but if God wants, um, indeed I can. My heart power has seen to it that many times. You know, this has happened many times to win another's confidence. Um, there is a solution. You know, we're in, there is a solution, and I, I'm sure of it. I'm sure there is a solution based on what? Theory, conception, you know, hope. Nope, none of these, not anymore. It's based on my personal experience. This has happened to me. It's factual. The problem has been removed from me. Did I earn it? Am I more worthy than, than another person? Not a chance. It has nothing to do with it. Working harder more diligently, better food plan, more efficient use of the tools, none of it worked. So it does, you know, many of us have had a deep and effective spiritual experience. That indeed was the case for me. My creator has entered my heart. You know, when I arrived on, <clears throat> at OA, um, I, I think I had the spiritual understanding of a, of a little boy, you know, maybe like a 10-year-old little boy. My thought was of kind of a, you know, in reflection, a magical God who might choose to sprinkle me with pixie dust if I'm worthy enough. Spiritual awakening, you know, to me means, means a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's all it means. Sudden upheavals 
it says that they're not common. How about a psychic change that is of the educational variety? That's, that's what happened in me. So in other words, a, a fundamental change at the core of my being, <clears throat> but it only came about as I learned and applied, learned and applied, learned and applied. Grudgingly, beat up by the disease, I learned what you guys had to offer. I followed this textbook, and at some point, I began to apply slowly over time that was my experience, and it, it resulted in this personality change that allows me to live without killing myself with, you know, three fast food meals a day with sugary dessert items in between. So I, I have a different outlook on life. I have a peace of mind, serenity, happiness. Before I was restless, irritable, and discontent most of the time. You know, I was able to find fault in you every time. What I looked for, I found, and I found fault in you. And I was incapable of love and tolerance and acceptance of others. And today that's not the case. So, you know, for me, you know, as, a, as an ex-problem uh, uh, eater, one, one word that seems, you know, of, of, the, of critical importance here is the word is change. Change. Alter, transform, modify, revolutionize, amend, adjust. They all mean the same thing. Change. To change from where I was, which was a self-centered place, to something entirely different, which is God-centered today. And there's, there's two alternatives. One is to remain powerless. Number two, door number two, accept the power greater than myself. I, I, I had to choose. I had to make a choice. And if you look at our history, Roland Hazard went to Dr. Young, begged him to tell him the truth, and he said, you're probably going to die. That was where I was. He asked if there was any exceptions to this, and Young said that some people appeared to have a vital spiritual experience. And, and from what I understand, Roland Hazard tried to get to Freud first, also to Alfred Adler, but, you know, he got to Young, and, and, and basically Young, you know, basically said that, that, you know, maybe he could be helped by spirituality. And he, and he had a vital and spiritual experience. That's what I've had. So I'll, I'll just wrap up and say that, you know, here's an interesting thought. and It helps me with humility. If I was to meet a recovered, you know, alcoholic, compulsive overeater in any part of the world, regardless of language differences, you know, socioeconomic differences, cultural differences, age, gender, doesn't matter, perhaps I have nothing in common with this person without even discussing our personal stories. See, we would both know something special about one another. And what is that? That each of us has had a spiritual awakening sufficient to stop this disease dead in its tracks. You know, and for me, amazingly, I was lifted out of this bitter morass, this horrible death trap. Thank God, you know, for Overeaters Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sally Ann. Liz. Okay, I heard Sally Ann, uh, Leanne, and Liz. Was there someone else? There was Paula. At the end of the line would be fine. (laughs) So we'll go Sally Ann, Leanne, Liz, and Paula. Go ahead, Sally Ann. Just Sally. Sally Ann. Sally, sorry. Yes. That's okay, Kath. Good morning, and thank you so much for your service. And good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally in South Jersey. But the ex-problem drinker, I think that's the recovered person. I think that's what they're talking about here. 
the ex-problem drinker, that would be me and that would be you if you're recovered, who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. The bottom of page 89, it tells us, ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. And so when I read this paragraph, I certainly do identify in with this. And this page has really been, uh, for me, um, again, a very important um, page in the book. Um, from, the, from the top of the page, they're telling us, armed with facts about himself, are we all clear that they're telling us that we have an illness? That's, that's being made very clear here. On, on XIII, uh, we're also told, many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And um, at the top, they're talking about the person who has cancer, that all are sorry for him. And it goes on to say that not with us. That doesn't happen for us. And, and this is what I wanted to say this morning, is that as I read this page, I'm reminded of the many years that I lived in shame, the many years that I was not armed with facts about me. It doesn't matter if anyone else in my family or my peers or my coworkers understand who I am, what I have, what I've been through. It matters that I personally am armed with facts about me. It matters that I understand that I was very sick, that I was much like the person who had cancer. Um, when that person who has cancer walks around and they're, they're in a bad mood or they're, or they're grumpy or they're unhappy because they, they really are in trouble. They've got a disease. Everyone feels sorry for them. No one is angry for them. But me, I beat myself up. I walked around in shame. I lived to question why on a regular basis. And so when I see this, who are properly armed with facts about himself. I remember that I walked around with that word, why? Why can't I eat like normal people? Why can't I stop? Why can't I stay stopped? Why do I have to eat till it's all gone? I lived in the question, why? And that question, why, is not like any other question, who, when, where, what. That question, why, is infused with so much shame that question why includes in the question of why you can't do this, why I can't stop, why I have this problem. In the question why comes also the statement, what's wrong with you, Sally? What's wrong with you? And so armed with facts about myself, and I'm so grateful for this big book. I'm so grateful for a vision for you, this meeting, that has armed me with facts about myself. I can generally win the confidence of another foodaholic in a, few, in a few hours, probably less than a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Leanne, you're next. 
Hi, this is Leanne, recovered in Florida from compulsive overeating and anorexia. And um, this reminds me of I, I was I was considered a non-vomiting bulimic, and the things I did to get to get rid of my food um, were things that I never thought anybody in the whole wide world would ever think of doing. But my need to be super skinny and my need for the food were just as strong. They were equally as strong. So I was caught in this vicious world of really very bad insanity. And I remember the day a person um, told me that she did exactly what I did to get rid of her food and to eat more and get rid and get eat more. Non-vomiting, that is. And I, I couldn't believe my ears. I thought I was the only one in the whole world who did that. And her message had such depth and weight that I got on a plane and I left Pennsylvania and I came to Florida and I stayed here by myself. And um, it just, it just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe and I was, that was the, the beginning of my recovery. It was not the time when I was introduced to the steps or the big book, but it was the beginning of where I, my ears were opened and I began to hear that, that I wasn't alone and that it really can happen. I really didn't have to do this anymore. And um, I don't know where else to find that. You know, I spent years in church and confession booths and all that stuff, psychiatrist, psychology. This book really, really resonates the truth for those of us who live in the addictive world and with that alcoholic mind. It's just, it's just such a far cry from what was offered to me with, you know, some of the people I met with were these old men who were so knowledgeable and it was just, it was just like Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown's teacher speaking to me. It just didn't hit me at all. And tonight, yesterday rather, I had to speak at my local meeting and whatever I said helped another person. It's something I said struck a chord. Um, I didn't think a person struggling with the anorexic tendencies would ever belong in OA, but I am a compulsive overeater, and his eyes were open last night, and he thanked me so much for giving him the understanding and realizing that he had the same tendencies. And that's what that's what I get, you know, here and from others who have been through the mill with this disease. There's nothing like that message of depth and weight, and I'll be forever eternally grateful that God brought me into this world where I'm with you guys and I'm not alone. So I pass. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Leanne. Liz? Liz, press star one to unmute. Hi, it's Liz from New Hampshire. Um this really, these, these two paragraphs <clears throat> are very important to me. Um, all the doctors I saw prior to OA um, didn't, excuse me, <clears throat> didn't dare mention my weight because um, I had written all over my face. If you mention it, the wrath of the wrath of well, the wrath of I'll say God, but not not the God of the God of my choice now, but. Don't even mention it because there will be anger that will come down upon you that you don't want to that you don't want to know. Um, but I read an article in a magazine, an anonymous article, uh, written by someone in OA, 
and um, I knew about AA, but I didn't know about OA. And it was about this woman's recovery. And it was um, the first time I'd heard about OA, and it was about her recovery. And um, at that time, I was about 100 pounds overweight, and I was going to school and uh, had a 4.0 average, and I couldn't stop eating. And so the 4.0 average meant nothing to me, and I thought I would try my first beginner's meeting. And I walked into a room, and the first thing I heard was the woman talking about binging on lettuce. And the first thought that came to my mind was, I'm home. This is exactly where I belong. And it was also the first time in my life, and I was in my 20s at that time, that I could talk about what I did with food. And, you know, I've been to psychiatrists since then for other reasons. And I could tell them the intimate details of my sex life, but I could not tell them what I do with food. I could not tell them that I've eaten out of garbage cans, that I've put thrown away food and taken it out, that I've sprayed poison on it and taken it out and washed it off and put it and eaten it. You know, but I can come into the rooms of OA or call up someone in OA and be honest. You know, someone who's been where I've been, I can be honest. But I must say that I have been to very competent doctors who have led me back when I've left and told me to come back when I've left. But I cannot tell a doctor or a psychiatrist. But I can come here and tell all of you what I do and truthfully tell you what I do and what I've done with food. And I now in recovery feel that um, the beauty of it is that I will, you know, at some point be able to share my experience, that is my hope, with someone else who is out there and needs help as well. But when I read these paragraphs, I thank the person who wrote that article. I thank the person who was in that beginner's meeting in New York. Um, I also remember thinking, I'm glad we're close to Bellevue. We were too close to two blocks from Bellevue Hospital at a couple of meetings. I used to think that. But I also just remember thinking, I'm home. I'm finally home after all these years where I can say the unbelievably crazy things that I do with food. And this is the only place that I can tell the truth, my truth about what I do with this substance because there is nowhere else that I feel I can be completely honest. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Uh, Paula, please go ahead. And thank you. And this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and thank you for your service, Kathy. You know, it, I'm going to just circle around these words and then expand from them. In a few hours, in a few hours, these people are loved. The alcoholic, myself included, a, a compulsive overeater, whatever, in a few hours, people for years begged, bribed, cried. We did it all. They did it all. But I'll tell you what happened here. First, he was properly armed with facts about, now look at what it says. It doesn't even say the, the, other, the alcoholic about himself. He knew who he was, and he knew what he must do to stay to stay, as was said, changed, changed. And then it goes on. 
and it says very clearly, the entire confidence of another alcoholic, and then we have the time span, until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. And Lord knows our lives were example. My life was an example of that. You know, it says on the back of the book, and I'm going to share again, 180, the squiggly lines we know so well, when Bob was met, was met fully and totally by Bill. And it said, I had, this was the first time I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from what? From actual experience. But the thing was, he wasn't in alcoholism anymore. He was there and he, now he came. Oh yes, they're the miracle we see. And that's why it could happen in a few hours, in a few hours. With that, I end and I pass and I say thank you for this time. Thank you, Paula. <clears throat> this is Kathy Kay, and I'll take a moment to share. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and everyone sharing is reminding me of my first OA meeting um, 20 years ago uh, when I heard people um, sharing and qualifying and um, adamantly talking about how their higher power had enabled them to become abstinent um, and to keep them abstinent. And um, if it weren't for the woman who came up to me afterwards, uh, knowing I was a newcomer, I don't know if I would have come back to my second meeting um, because at that time I was a very strong agnostic. And I also didn't have much weight to lose, um, but I was very, very sick uh, with a lot of twisted thinking, and I was killing myself with food. And as I think about it now, it's, it is that one-on-one -on -one conversation that um, softened my heart and opened my eyes and enabled me to come back next week. Um, and that next week I saw the same person and I met one or two others. And little by little I began to uh, build a village around me that could help me um, learn what I needed to learn in order to recover. Um, so we really never know where, when, how, um, if we uh, show up and remember who we are, um, we can be helpful um, in so many venues. And with that, I pass. Is there anyone else who wants to share on this paragraph? Lisa? This is Penny C. Okay, Lisa and then Penny C. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, this is Lisa from Colorado. Um, what I like the most is... Um, who is properly armed with facts about himself. And until I came in and started working the steps and working the program, I was not helpful to anyone. I wasn't helpful to myself until I started inventorying my core patterns and beliefs and what I was doing to kill myself because, you know, the whole acronym for God is grow or die. And I was like dying, you know, because I wasn't willing to be on the path with the fellowship and the whole thing about where, um, 
running with the pack and being in the middle of the pack is, is uh, you know, where I need to be because other people that are being honest with themselves, with, with their facts about themselves, they're going to hold me accountable. They're not going to let me go and be on the fringe of the pack. And when I sponsor people and I'm able to um, – to unite with them in their own individual experience, it's because they're teaching me about their disease and I'm teaching them about my disease and the facts that this is what I do because I'm insane. I'm, you know, I'm not terminally unique. I, I have a lot of the same characteristics that you do and that's where we meet is through the brokenness. If we were meeting through the, um, you know, the things that we do right, we wouldn't be here. But um, we can also meet through things that are right, but there's also that the camaraderie because I'm just I'm just another bozo on the bus. I you know my first sponsor when I came into 12 steps said you know I'm I'm not better than anybody else, but I'm not worse than anybody else, and the newcomer's not worse than anybody else. We're all just bozos on the bus, and and when I share from my brokenness, that's where God can meet both me and those people that I talk to, and with that I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Liz. Lisa, I'm sorry. Um, and Penny C. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy. I'm Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater. There's so many, so many places in the big book that explain to me what people meant when I first came around and heard um, member after member introduce themselves as a grateful compulsive overeater. In, in fact, one one woman, in her um, real dramatic dramatic um, way, would would always introduce herself as an enormously grateful compulsive overeater, and and it sounded strange to me. Of course, why would anybody be grateful? to have this malady, to have this disease. And as I go through the book with all of you and see over and over again what reasons I have to to be grateful, because number one is this, this transformation. I would never have found 12-step programs, I don't believe, if I hadn't been a compulsive overeater and if I hadn't been at the end of the the line, trying to find ways to control what I knew was was not not a healthy thing for me, and here I go again with this. I because I'm an ex problem eater, I found the solution, and I can get the the confidence of people who are suffering from the same de- disease. Even when learned doctors, psychiatrists, um, you name it, people who are out there really wanting to help and yet cannot do anything to help these people who are into the same the same situation that I came in twenty seven and a half, twenty almost twenty seven years ago. So I'm just again wanting just to say I am a enormously grateful compulsive overeater and the joy it brings me to see other people recover is is just amazing and to know that with my higher power I had just a little part in that it it's just um it's just undescribable and I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. 
Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thanks so much, Kathy, for your service. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. But the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Um, Yeah, this paragraph reminds me of walking into my first OA meeting at the age of 19 um, and how amazing it felt, uh, you know, to be in a room with other people who spoke my language. Um, You know, that was such an important uh, part for me. It was the first living humans with whom uh, I knew was talking about uh, my disease from actual experience. You know, I had spent a lot of time on therapist's couch already by the age of 19 and and visiting uh, a variety of doctors and psychiatrists. And certainly, you know, they're all uh, experts in their field. Um, But, you know, I had a disease that was not about medical science or psychology. This was not about Freudian concepts, however interesting they were. Uh, You know, I didn't have time to figure out how I got to be a compulsive overeater, why I was a compulsive overeater, because I was dying during the investigation. Um, But when I walked into the room uh, and heard other compulsive overeaters, uh, you know, there was this identification process that began. Um, and that meant the world to me. Now, of course, I needed someone who was not only a compulsive overeater, I needed someone who was an ex-problem compulsive overeater, uh, and that took a few more years to find and to be ready for. Um, but, you know, the big book teaches that, you know, we who have recovered have been given the power to help other people. And this is not about personal power, and this is not about any personal success. This is about uh, you know, what happens when we cooperate, when I cooperate with God's grace. Um, you know, this this disease um, beat me to a pulp. I was a compulsive overeater my entire life, almost two decades of madness and mayhem, eating off the floor, eating out of garbage cans, frozen food, burnt food, uh, you know, spending hour after hour after hour in my car, uh, digging my fists into bags and boxes, you know, for days on end, unable to focus on or concentrate on anything else, pills, drugs, you know, starvation, over-exercising, all those remedies, eating until I was in a stupor on the couch, you know, binging until my eyeballs hurt, until my brain was pounding. I know the feelings of having nausea and stomach ache the next morning. I know the feeling of food and hangovers. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to live in an obese body. I know what it's like to live in an anorexic body. I know the medical consequences of being fat. I know the medical consequences of bulimia, anorexia. I know the shame and the humiliation that comes with this uh, whole uh, arena. But I'm happy to announce that as a result of coming to Overeaters Anonymous and as as a result of a recovered 
person coming over to me and, and cracking open a copy of this book and under his guidance, because he knew what he was talking about and, and performing the requirements in this book as he directed so that I could have my own spiritual experience, I am happy to announce I have not changed my mind about taking that first compulsive bite since January 19, 1987, and that is a miracle. And it says here, uh, you know, until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. You know, this is the message of hope that that man offered me. That I didn't have to live that way, that I didn't have to feel that way, that I didn't have to act that way, <laughs> that I didn't have to be in that pit anymore. And that is, uh, you know, the language of the heart that we offer. <laughs> this is not about judgment. This is not about uh, being holier than thou. This is about being crushed by a disease of addiction and um, and and throwing oneself at a power that can save us from that kind of existence. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. Okay, um, it is now time to close the meeting. Uh, we will close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Uh, do would you please read a vision for you? Sure. This is Do Still Recover, Compulsible Reader. It says, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you unto them. Yes.